Good morning. How about that? I was fine until they all raised their hands, the praise God part, and that, that's kind of where I kind of choked. I got, my allergies started acting up this morning. So grateful for our kids and for those who are uh, working with our kids and who are building foundations of faith in their lives and in our families. It is, um, it is a blessing that um, never gets old for me. I'm so grateful for that moment and uh, for what they uh, represent in our life together. Today is a lot of things. I don't know if you knew that. It is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Uh, it is Consecration Sunday, uh, which I will explain in a minute. And it is Sunday, uh, which, you know, maybe the most obvious thing to say, but I don't know if you've noticed, I said this to some of our new folks uh, on Wednesday night, um, they're starting to make calendars where Monday is the first day of the week. And um, that may seem like a small switch in the way we think about our time, but I want to suggest that, that it's actually a pretty big one. Uh, and maybe one of the ways that we can resist, you know, actively resist the culture around us, because the message with Monday being the first day of the week sort of says that the, the most important thing, because that's what we put first, the most important thing is our work. And so like that, if you tell time that way, then the first thing you do at the beginning of the week is get at it. You sort of like get to the producing part, get to uh, the failure success kind of uh, mode, and ultimately rest comes at the end, after you've produced something, after you've sort of earned it. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but let's think for a second. What happens when you start with Sunday as the first day of the week? Well, it begins in a different place. The most important thing is to, to not do, uh, but to be. The most important thing to do is not produce, but to rest. The most important thing is not to accomplish something, but to be grateful for something that's already been accomplished. We start the week on Sunday intentionally so that we can begin in a place of gratitude for God's goodness, and then the rest of life flows out of that. And that seems to me like the better way to think of time, Right? Now, so that means today, some of you have already planned to get together uh, to uh, see Taylor Swift and her boyfriend and <laughs> to watch a football game and to watch the commercials and to eat some good food and to be maybe with, with some friends. You just didn't know that that was a very holy thing to do. But it is. I think that we should think of the, the Sunday that way as the day we get to celebrate. And so Consecration Sunday is that way for us. It is the day in the flow of the year where we celebrate God's goodness to us and our ability to participate in that. And we make giving and our ministry and our service a spiritual process. It is an act of worship. It is more than talking about budgets or budgetary needs. It is a way of participating in the life of God together. And the starting place in that is is gratitude. So we're going to celebrate today. Today is Consecration Sunday. And uh, so a few things. We will do our offering earlier today, in just a moment actually. And we do it separate from what we do at communion. So if you have an offering, you brought an offering, that the baskets are about to go around in just a second. And then during communion, if you're a part of the life of Broadway, you should have gotten in the mail this week a, a, a mailing with a, a card, an estimate of giving card. And you bring that today as an act of worship. We also put some in the pews and in the seats if you need those as well. That Don't put that in the offering plate, okay? That's what I'm kind of getting to, right? Practically speaking, bring that to communion as an act of worship with communion, and that's the way we do that. And over the course of our life together, this has been our rhythm. So if you're a guest, um, 
here's what we would love for you to do. Find a card and write on there, maybe I'm going to pray for your church today or something like that, just so you can have a, a way to participate. We don't want you to feel like you're left out. If you give online, you, we still want you to do this, not because it's really about the practicalities, it's an act of worship. So if you find one, say, hey, I'm doing what I'm doing online, and we, you know what, we love that. Um, but bring that because the act of worship is important. Let me tell you why I think that's important. As Jenny and I were talking uh, about things this, uh, this year particularly, she said something I hadn't thought of because she's the one that actually does the giving in our family. She's the one that actually makes it happen. She makes a lot of things happen, but that's, uh, that's one of them. And, but she said, you know what, when I do that, it's sort of an ongoing reminder. Uh, what I remember as I think about all the things that we, we have to give our money to, it helps me remember that God has been so faithful to us. And it sort of is just a little check in that. And that's, so that's what those cards do. If you're a regular part of our life together, whatever you're doing, we want you to bring it because it is an act of worship. And, uh, and then to really feel. What we hope today is that you will feel a sense of what God is doing among us. As we come to our offering time, I also want to celebrate. And as the ushers can kind of come on up, I want to turn to a moment of celebration. Today is the 80th birthday of John Coomer, who is sitting right here. So everybody wave at John. You see some pictures. It is actually his, he and his brother, Harold's tw uh, twin brother's birthday, uh, and Harold has passed on. And uh, you see some pictures here of John and his uh, life and ministry. John was our senior pastor from 1987 to 1992 here at Broadway. John and Janice and Jennifer and Stephen. And you see some of the pictures from the various things that John has been a part of. And uh, we uh, thought about letting John, you know, tell a joke or something, but his sense of humor is something he's known for. And we're just, you know, you, you just kind of have to, like, we'll, we'll send people to you, John, so you can sh share, share the jokes. Um, but the blessing of our lives is that John and Janice and the family uh, moved back to Bowling Green in 2003, and uh, John retired from uh, full-time ministry uh, officially in 2009 and has been a part of our life together in, uh, in, since the time I've been at Broadway. And so really, we are grateful for you. We want to celebrate. You know, we've had a few celebrations, uh, you know, around and lots of expressions of love, but we wanted worship to be one of those today, John, for us to express and Janice how much we love you. Stephen, how much we appreciate you. Honor your service to God and to the church, and mostly to express just how much we, we love you and, and, and feel that. So uh, as we pray for our offering today, we're going to pray for you and pray for all of us. So let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for these, your beloved children and faithful servants who have given their lives to you and to your church. We ask you to bless them and to guide them with a sense of joy for your presence and your work in their lives and your influence through them. We give you thanks for their witness to the love of Jesus in this world. And on this Sunday, the first day of the week, we begin in praise and thanksgiving for your presence and work in all of our lives. We ask that this Sabbath day would bring rest to our hearts and to our homes, that your image in us would be restored and that our imagination in you would be restoried. We pray that the gravity of all of the material things in our lives would be lightened, that the relativity of time would slow down, that we would know the grace to embrace our finiteness, our smallness in the arms of your 
infinite greatness. May your word feed us and your spirit lead us into the week and into the life to come. Amen.
you to take the impossible thing in your heart. Maybe you're even afraid to mention it, but I just want you to lift it up with an open hand to Jesus, whose loving eyes see you where you are and who sees you and knows you and loves you and cares for you and promises to be with you through it all. And just hold that up as we sing. Thank you that you wait for us. Wait with us in the midst of it all. We trust you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So think about that song and the word believe, which in um, certainly in John's gospel comes up uh, in the scripture reading today. It could easily be translated trust. It is not an intellectual belief, but uh, a lived trust. And the challenge, of course, to that kind of belief is that living pre- presents all kinds of challenges. Uh, and so today, we, as we gather, as we do every week, we gather with those who are Um, rejoicing, who are celebrating wonderful, beautiful things happening, the answer to prayer, the thing that they thought would never happen has and is happening. And at the same time, as we think about our world, as I think about uh, being in close proximity to Western Kentucky University's campus this week uh, and in the past couple weeks, as I know people's stories, I know that there is also a great deal of struggle and um, challenge to that kind of belief. So today's scripture speaks into that reality. It speaks into our reality and our our world. As we have talked the last few weeks about a generous life, we are coming to the source of where that happens, where it comes from, and how we access it, uh, the the possibility of God's love for us, which sounds like the most simple thing to say, probably the most expected thing you would, would hear. Today, I hope that you hear it in a fresh way. And it would begin here as we come to a very familiar scripture in John 3.16. I invite you, in fact, to stand for the reading of the gospel, and you're going to help us read it. I'm going to uh, have you stand, and we're going to put this into your, your, your mouths as well. We're going to read it together. And as you say the, these words, and as I say them, we also listen for the voice of Jesus, the living word, to speak to us and to our hearts. Let's join together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. And I promise it'll be a while before you have to stand up again, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave. What if those simple words really were the starting point of everything else we did in our lives? 
What if they really were the foundation that we could build our thinking and our action, everything else on, grounding us daily in God's goodness? What if they were our why? Our reason? What if we could stay in touch with such an amazing grace that we really were grateful? Like we, could just, we just naturally lived out of that gratitude in the overflow, uh, in the outward expression of love to others. You know, as I think of that scripture, God so loved the world that he gave, one of our challenges is our familiarity with it. So we could go to several of those words and I could, you know, talk about Greek stuff and I probably will eventually because, you know, that's what preachers do. But the word that I want to focus on today is the smallest one in in that passage. And the one that I think makes all the difference. The word that takes this from being a story of, okay, we get it, to, oh, we we will infinitely live into this possibility. It's the word so. For God so loved the world that he gave. We can talk about love. We can talk about generosity. We can talk about acting out our faith and belief. But the so part for me, I think, is what makes the difference. And maybe it's the biggest challenge. Because uh, I think maybe the biggest threat to our theology, to our faith, to our living, and to our witness is that it's easy for us to fixate on something less than so loved the world. We can talk about God's love, and we can walk out of here and kind of go, yeah, we get it. Or we can feel it so deeply within us that it begins to just naturally change us and the environment around us. It makes me think of when my kids were little. Uh, now, uh, we don't do this anymore uh, because they're big. But when they were little, we would uh, talk about how much we loved each other, and we would try to express that physically, right? So how much do you love me? Or how much does dad or mom love you? So, so much, right? That would be awkward now, you know, <laughs> right? But it was so cute then. And, I'm, you know, we miss those days. But I, I remember doing that thing, which I think probably all parents do, and as a new parent trying to understand what it meant to love kids. And um, I remember thinking, as they would do that and you know reach their hands out, I would say, no, kiddo, you can't get your arms wide enough. There is just no way that you can ex- express the kind of love that I have for you. I think the biggest threat to our theology is, and therefore to our living is that we might realize that God loves us, but not that he is saying to us, no, kiddo, you, you know, I, I can't get my arms, you can't get your arms wide enough. The word in the Bible, the Greek word for that in the Bible is agape, which we sometimes translate as unconditional love. I kind of have a problem with that. Because it, in a sense, it's telling us what it's not. It's love without conditions. Okay, but it doesn't necessarily define what it is. What does it mean to have a God that loves us so much that he gave his one and only son? There's something to the intentionality of that kind of love. It's not, it's because there's nothing else to do. There's, a, there's an intention and intentionality with it. It's hard to get at the sheer joy, I think, of agape love. The way God loves us fully and fiercely. Almighty God and also the baby in the manger. This is the story of scripture. It's, it's somehow both things. 
That's agape love. When I was in uh, college, my Old Testament professor said uh, that word I mentioned just a second ago, uh, Almighty God in the Old Testament. So we're not only doing Greek, we're doing Hebrew, apparently. So the Old Testament word is El Shaddai, the name for God, El Shaddai, which we translate as God Almighty. But he said, when you say that word, what you should feel is Mama Grizzly Bear. We, you know, again, it's like, how do we find the, the power behind these words? The image is of a God that is so fierce and so powerful that the sheer force of that love could squash you. What, what John 3.16 does is takes that, the intensity of that kind of love, and it pairs it with the generosity of a God who loved the world that much that the expression of that love wasn't a a sheer force uh, expression of power, but an expression of, of self-giving love. God so loved the world that he gave. You know, John 3.16 is the only place in the Bible that makes that particular connection. Maybe, maybe you should uh, had, had noticed this, but um, this particular connection, the depth and intensity of God's love, aimed for the world, that, using that word as the object of, of God's love, which also heightens it, doesn't it? Right? To think about the, the world as we see it, the world as we know it, the world that trips us up and, the, and the, the question marks that we have and all the people in the world, all that comes with it. God loved the world so much that that, I think, is also hard for us. To think about every single person and all of their issues, to think about myself and all of my issues. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to this passage, John 3, 16, a little, and go actually a little bit more of John 3. And we're going to do that in the, the conversation we're having in our next series uh, around the story of Jesus and how that begins to reorient us and kind of flip the script in life. We're calling it the divine exchange, uh, what success looks like, what the good life looks like. Uh, and in, in that uh, sermon, not to kind of give you too much of a preview, but essentially we're going to go into the Old Testament context. And what we find in the context there that John 3.16 is pointing to is of the, the people wandering in the wilderness, the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And every time God shows that, that generous love to them, they, they, they abuse it or they forget it or a little bit of crisis comes along and they start complaining. And the, the story, though, is not that, but of, of, of God continuing to find a way, continuing to make a way. I don't know if you've ever noticed that reading the Old Testament. If you want to, you can read the Old Testament in in the next three weeks. You'll kind of have a better sense of this. But it is just that story over and over and over again. Like you think, goodness gracious, at some point God says, all right, that's enough. And it keeps not being that story. Keeps being a story of God who seems to find a way to make a way. God so loved the world that he gave, even though he knew that that world might reject him which is the overarching story of Scripture. Even when he knew that the object of that love might turn on him and crucify his beloved son. And yet, even that, even the cross becomes a, a thing, that uh, the script that, that is, uh, is flipped. It becomes not the, the object of or the symbol of, of shame and, and death. It becomes... Even that, a sign of the so-ness of God's love for us. 
I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to grasp a love like that and, and to kind of maintain the intensity of, of this thing, right? Let's just be honest, right? Most days are pretty ordinary and life is hard. Some of us went to the, uh, uh, an event at SkyPack on Friday with Kate Bowler, an author who has, uh, at 35, was diagnosed with um, stage four, I think it was liver cancer, and uh, just by a, by a miracle of modern medicine that she is alive and has been able to speak into that place of blessing and hope and intensity and also the realness of, of life. Where like blessing, when we talk here around here of like we're those who are blessed to be a blessing, we can also be, it can be honest about how life is hard and there aren't easy answers. I think keeping up the intensity of God so loved the world that he gave his only son, keeping the intensity of that in our own hearts is the challenge. But I think it's possible, and I think it's the spiritual, I think it is the spiritual journey. I think it is the thing that takes it from being God loved the world to God so loved the world. And that's something that I know. That's something that I have experienced. That's something that I believe, not as a head thing, but as a whole body thing, as a whole lived trust thing. How do you keep that intensity? I don't, well, we start the week on Sunday, <laughs> don't we? Step one, keep yourself in the so-ness of God's love for you. Never getting too far from its intensity and intentionality, living from a place of gratitude, reminding yourself to remember, reminding us together to remember to keep in the so-ness of God's love as our ultimate reason, as our ultimate why. And I think that's, be, that's how we begin to flip this, the script. It is how we begin to understand how to live out of a different place. And that is not an immediate thing. It is not a simple thing, but I think it is a possible thing. So there's a video that I've shown once before, a couple of years ago, that helps me see that, helps me see the difference that I'm talking about, from God loved the world to God so loved the world, and how that begins to transform our, the way we engage the world. And as you'll see in this video, the way the world begins to engage us. So some of you have maybe seen this. Uh, it is uh, from Michael Jr. talking about the power of our why and this, this, the change that happens as we kind of live from one place and then that place of why begins to drive us. So let's watch. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode, it's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at three o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is, is it's me, I travel around the country and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm gonna show you a clip from Winston-Salem. 
And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved like me that I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. Uh, a couple things out of that, just to be perfectly clear, uh, you know, it's sort of easy to see with somebody who can sing like that, right? I do think that God has gifted every single one of us with something like that. And when that comes alive in you, when that comes alive in me, it has that, it is just how it works. It has that impact that what you see, you see how people responded in that moment? It was like, that it was like church just sort of just breaks out, right? And that's how, that's, I think, the so loved part. For every single person, there is not an exception. Every single person. We walk around and just church starts breaking out because we're living into the thing that God's called us to do, that we're equipped to do, that, we, that brings us joy and brings others joy. That's when we say give, that's what we mean, right? It's not this obligatory thing that, gets to do some, us to do something that we don't want to do. It is finally turning us loose to do the thing that we were born for. And that is what our mission intends to do. That is why we are here. Why, if, if not at that, then why bother? 
So as a church, we talk about our what, in a sense, in three words, invite, grow, and serve. But if we know the why, then that, those words come alive. That we envision a contagious community of hospitality where all people are welcome into a family of faith. There's a lot in that phrase. We've been saying uh, uh, the last five years or so, we want to place, be a place where everybody is welcome, no exceptions. And yes, the assumption is that there, most places, not everybody is welcome, and most churches, not everybody's welcome. And, um, and so what, how do we get from God love to the word, world to God so loved the world? And listen, I've listened for five years for people to tell me, yeah, we know that God loves everybody, but there cannot be a but. And if we're talking about God's love without the so love part, then we might as well not talk. The church's job is to help other people feel the so-ness of God's love for them. If not, why bother? Then the grow part of our mission, that we would be a life-giving community, even those words, life-giving community, help us understand the so-ness of God's love. Because as we know, there are communities that are not so life-giving, and, and it is a challenge to each of us to have to live into the possibility and, the, and then the, the change that comes when we imagine God getting a hold of us and helping us become fully alive. We imagine a selfless community of action that extends hope into our city and world. I remember when we wrote those words about 15 years ago. Um, pastor Rick, I kind of handed them to Pastor Rick, who was the senior pastor at the time. I said, what do you think? And he said, I, got, I, got, I was fine until I got to selfless. Because I felt, I felt like, man, that's going to that's gonna require some, some prayer. The church is called to embody the soness of God's love for the world in its daily living in the world. This is the synergy that is the church. This is where our fire comes from. As Hebrews says, therefore, brothers and sisters, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on to love and to good deeds. This is the energy, the synergy of the church living out of the soness of God's love for it. 25 years ago, some people took some courage and some risk, and it's probably why most of us are sitting in the room. You may have been here 25 years ago, but most of us were not, and there were decisions made. Our early learning center was started, but really more than that, a decision to open our doors and be a welcoming place and to, to take some risks and make some change to make that happen. And most of us are here because some people we may never even know laid that foundation. I remember starting our Greenwood campus 17 years ago, and there were 15 people at our original uh, Greenwood United Methodist Church when they merged with us, and we had a vision for where there might be a place where uh, we would welcome other people in and serve children and families like we have been doing uh, here at uh, our Melrose campus. Um, wonderful people at Greenwood, just that was not happening. Last Sunday at our 1030 service, there were 65 adults uh, upstairs at Greenwood and there were 50 children and youth. The last few years, we have been applying that soness of God's love to the invite part of our mission and saying everyone's welcome, no except, exceptions. And the phrase, I think, has maybe challenged us in our intensity of our invite, caused us to put our words into action. And so today, before we come to communion, I want to close sharing the impact of that kind of inclusiveness and invitation.
Allison and Daniel Bemis are sitting back here uh, with Elijah and Jonah and their families. And um, I told Jonah that he was a movie star today. Uh, came here looking for a place to belong, a place to serve. Uh, and they are our story that is about our mission, where people get invited in and it leads to growth and it leads to service. How communion, as we'll do today, is a chance to ground our, day, our lives at the beginning of the week or the beginning of the month in the truth of God's love and some truths that we need to remember lest we forget and how we are spurring one another on to love and good deeds simply by hearing each other's story in our life together. So let's watch. My name is Allison Bemis, and I um, am married to Daniel Bemis. And then we have our older son, uh, Elijah is 18, and Jonah is 12. I was a teacher for years at Briarwood, and now I work in early childhood and lead trainings and train teachers, and I've written a few books. Jonah um, needed, when, when I, when we first found out that Jonah is a pediatric stroke survivor, so Jonah had a stroke in utero before he was born, but we didn't know until he was a year old. I stopped work completely for one year so I could learn how to care for him and what is early intervention and all of that. And during that year, I wrote three books um, as my own personal release. Then I wrote three books for teachers that are curriculum for STEM. And I enjoyed that. I used those through work. I've presented it all across the U.S. with that. Um, and then about a year ago, or actually over a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, I started thinking, I've had all these wonderful writing experiences um, that have served me, my family, and some teachers. How can I write for my faith? I joined an organization that asked for a call for writers for devotionals. And I thought about it and put it on the back burner, put it on the back burner, and then actually the, the boy, all three of the boys got COVID. <laughs> so we were quarantined at home, came out of quarantine. Church was the first place we went. <laughs> and um, it happened to be the Sunday that you had these red beads out. And I have it with me because I keep it with me every single place that I go. This is a tangible reminder. You take this if you want to. You don't have to, but you take it if you want to, that, that they are with, the Trinity is with you all the time. The good days, the hard days, the wonderful days, every day in between, that they're going to be with you. But I watched everybody else in the room that day too. And it didn't matter if they were, you know, four or 94, everybody I saw got a bead. And everybody's face was having the exact same feeling that I had. I went back home and I pulled up that editor's information and I thought, I want to write this proposal. So I wrote a proposal for uh, God Made Me From A to Z. It's an alphabet book, uh, devotional, that um, has weekly activities. It's targeted for children, um, but it's good for all of us. For two years, I've been thinking, how can I write about my faith? And I would get little nudges here and there for a while, but not loud enough that I could listen or take the time away from other things I was working on to listen. And that day when I left church, I thought that was, that was not a nudge, that was a push. I've grown up and I've been to a lot of churches. So what made it feel like home? I, I, it's really hard to answer that because it's something you felt here. Um, we felt included. So it's one thing to say we're inclusive to everyone. 
but it's a different thing to feel it. And we felt it here, hands down. So anytime we come in and I see that it's the first Sunday of the month and we're gonna have communion, I'm always like, yes, you know, <laughs> because I know that that is a piece that he loves. And, um, and I, so in turn, we all love it. He also really loves the oil. So I've had um, to, to do that and I do it with him because I don't ever want him to do something alone. And I think it is a beautiful reminder that God is always with us because sometimes people can see that Jonah has cerebral palsy or, and, then, and, and, and he has epilepsy also. It's a beautiful reminder that he is God's son first, right? I had a friend tell me that when we first got the diagnosis and I was uh, spinning my wheels, trying to fix it all myself. But he's God's son first and he's gonna take care of him. I still have to remind myself of that. So when you see us on Sundays and we go down, what am I saying to myself if you see me teary? Uh, he's God's son first, Allison. You know, you and Danielle aren't solely responsible for all of this. He's God's son first and we get uh, from both of our boys so much love and faith building, uh, learning to trust and relationships. Like sometimes people will say things like, you're such a good mom or you're such a good dad or he's lucky to have you. Um, we're lucky to have them. God shared him with us he, he, and he let us love him here on earth. Tell me why, why do you like communion? I just like communion because God and Jesus is there with us. Thank you for your generosity and um, faith that good is being done. Because through giving and that faith, we were able to connect. Um, Elijah and Jonah were able to connect and find a place that they could be grounded in and grow in, and our family could grow in. Um, and that was because someone gave not knowing like for the Haven or for whatever it might be, not knowing the impact of what they were having. Um, and then hopefully Daniel and I will be able to give back. You know, it's just a cycle that's gonna keep repeating. I like to the, invite those who are serving communion forward as we prepare to give. Grab that uh, card that, that you have ready to offer up and uh, let's pray together. God, we gather up our faith and our hope for our lives and for our world. That there is enough grace because you so love the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so we gather up our faith and our hope that we are caught up in this cycle of your grace being poured out into the world. Would you help us in the places where we are struggling and where our faith is maybe wavering? God, we believe, help our unbelief. And would you work in us as a church to be a place where that love becomes the natural outflow of your work as we spur one another on to love and good deeds? We offer ourselves, we offer what we have, we offer our gifts, we offer our lives to this possibility for us and for our world. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.